Lord Jesus, I know that everyone here wants to follow your will. And I just pray, Lord, that you will open our minds, that you will send your Holy Spirit to bless and guide us. Give me the right words to say that will reach each person here and, and give them what they need for the tools to help them have the best future possible in your work and in their lives. Thank you so much, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers and for caring so much about us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This seminar is called, Is This the One? <clears throat> so some of you may have somebody in mind already, and probably a lot of you don't yet. And that's fine. This is still great for you. We're going to talk about how you can know who is the one. First, I want to talk a little bit about how not to know. Um, I have known many people in my short and fruitful life <clears throat> who have made choices based on many different ideas. I had a friend once who decided to date this guy, and I said, um, why are you interested in him? Well, he's really cute. Okay, that's fine. So, you know, and he really is interested in spiritual things. He's asked me to study the Bible with him. Great. So they start studying the Bible together, and before you know it, of course, they're dating. And, I, and I, when I talked to her about it, it's like, you know, what, what's going on here? Why did you decide to date him? She says, well, you know, the, the most amazing thing happened. It was just like God was speaking to us. I had this sort of, I don't know how I'd describe it, like a, like a picture in my mind as I was praying about our relationship. And it was like I saw myself in God's hand standing there, just tiny little me, and him in the other hand of God. And, and then God brought both of us together in his hands. But that wasn't it. Then I was talking to him later on. And I talk, told him, you know, well, it's just, I guess we're each in the hand of God. And, and he got this funny look on his face. And he said, you know, that's amazing. Because I, when I was praying about us, I had this, this kind of vision in my mind. It was like I was in the hand of God and you were in the other hand of God. <gasps> it's a God thing. And so they knew they're right for each other. And so they started dating. And they dated intensely. And they messed up their lives for like two years before they finally figured out, okay, He's not going to change beliefs and in this case become an Adventist. And she's not going to not be an Adventist. And both of them, you know, it's been a while trying to persuade the other person. And then they gave up. Now, they could have saved themselves a lot of trouble if they just followed some basic guidelines. Now, I'm assuming everybody here is a Seventh-day Adventist and believes in a spirit of prophecy. In this particular seminar, that's kind of what we're going to do. I realize those who listen to these seminars may or may not be of that persuasion, and that's okay, too. I think you can get a lot of good things out of it. Just know that, in my opinion, there are a lot of things that we can save ourselves trouble from by reading some really good books that are from the pen of somebody who is enlightened by wisdom from God. And the things that she says can save us from a lot of messes. And one of the things that she says is that you should not date somebody who is not a believer in the same, you know, beliefs that you are. If you have one set of beliefs, the other person has another set of beliefs, that doesn't mean that God isn't leading them. That doesn't mean that they have any less of a spiritual relationship with God. They may be stronger and closer to God than you are. But... Can two walk together unless they be agreed? The Bible is plain on this, and so is the spirit of prophecy. We don't need to figure out by visions or dreams whether we're the right people for one another. I've had other friends who have had signs that were much stronger than that, even so much as one girl who prayed and she felt convicted that God was telling her of two dates about her, her interest in this other guy. So she waited, and the first date came and went, and then the next date came, and on that day, he came to her and said, you know, I got this poem I wrote for a girl from California. Can you want to read it and see what you think? 
So she took it and she started reading it and it was really sweet, but you know, she's, her heart sank. He's interested in somebody else, a girl from California. And then it hit her. She was from California and he was interested in her. And so they started dating and she found out that the first date that she'd been impressed with was the date that he asked her father if it was okay for him to start a relationship with her. But you know what? They didn't get married. And, you know, whether the Lord was leading there or not, I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you. But I can tell you that maybe she learned some quality things. Maybe he did, too. The, the thing that I want to impress on you is that you don't choose a spouse based solely on, I got a sign from God. Because that, that's, that's just not the way that we're told to find somebody. I, I also knew somebody. Now, another way not to find your spouse. Somebody brought us a, a note once, my husband and me, and said, you know, I'm thinking about... Uh, having you guys give this to a certain young man. And so she gave us the note, and we read it, and she said, what do you think? Well, the note told him, you know, I'm, I'm not going to choose a spouse. I believe that God's going to choose a spouse for me, so I'm letting God lead in this matter. But I've asked God to give me a sign. And the sign that I've asked God to give me is that the young man that he has chosen will show up on my doorstep holding roses for me. That, that could qualify as orchestrating your signs. And you do want to be careful about that as well. <laughs> so that is more of how to confuse yourself rather than how to choose a spouse. Don't use signs. Don't use visions. Don't use dreams. Except as confirmations of things that the Lord is showing you already through other ways to choose a spouse. Because God has given some very solid ways to choose a spouse. And we're going to look at those today. <clears throat> Now, some people think, I've just got to wait and God will show me exactly the right person. There's only one out there for me and I'm going to wait and God is going to show that person to me. Now, that may well be. And I know people who God has given them something miraculous that showed them this is the right person. I know other people who God has just led them through a lot of providential ways and means. And, you know, I don't argue. God is a God of a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing, right? But um, there are some things that I'm concerned about when I hear people say, well, I'm waiting and God's going to show me exactly the right one because there's just one for me. Number one is that that philosophy sometimes leads people into getting married too fast. And maybe some of you know this from experience, from somebody you know, hopefully not yourselves. But some people get married, you know, in the, in the most sincere way. They want to follow the will of God. They pray earnestly for God to show them exactly who is the right person. And then something comes along and there's a sign. Or they may pray for something to, to happen and, and then it happens. I once had a, a guy who I was interested in, but I didn't really know him well. And I thought, well, you know, circumstances haven't brought us to the same place. And if the Lord wants us to get together, then the Lord will work out those circumstances. So I told the Lord, you know, if you want me to get to know this young man better, then make it so that I am assigned in a, in a mission project that's right near where he is. He was, he was in a place that was like five hours from me and only for a brief period of time. And the next thing I knew without me doing anything to do it, I was assigned to a ministry position that was right close by him. And not only that, we found excuses to get together and they were just all these different things that were seeming to work together and it was miraculous. But I didn't marry him. We dated for a little while and I realized, you know what, he's not matching up to the ways that God has said to choose a spouse. 
So we ended the relationship, and he moved on, and I moved on, and I found the true man of my dreams. There he sits on the front row there. That's Alan Parker. Isn't he wonderful? Everybody tell me, are you glad to see that God can lead people together? I am so glad that God can lead people together, and I have no doubt that God led my husband and me together. But I don't think he's the only person that I could have been happy with. Um, I think that... <laughs> Naturally the best person. <laughs> I think that there are so many people, and here's the second point that I have. Besides people getting into marriage prematurely because they get a sign and so they go, that's it. This is the right one. What are we waiting for? And they get married in two months or six months, and they don't know this person very well. That can at the very least make for a very rocky relationship, particularly in the early years when you just don't know somebody. It helps so much more if you get used to one another. Um, it's kind of like getting into cold water. There are people who leap into freezing cold water. Um, more power to them. That's not me. But if you're going to do something for the rest of your life, it's much better that you gradually get into it. Otherwise, your first year of marriage may be something like plunging into cold water. And you don't really want that for your first year of marriage. So at the very least, it's best to spend time getting to know one another, even if you're confident that the Lord is leading you together. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I've seen people who felt that God was um, calling them to marry somebody and they get married and then they say, well, you know, I thought he was the right one. I was so sure that she was the one that God had called me to marry. But now I just found out something that totally blows me away. And because of their preconceived idea that God has only one person for them, the devil has this strong temptation he brings to them. You got the wrong one. I had somebody call me once in tears. She'd gotten married about a month before that. Wonderful girl. Married a wonderful guy. They, they really loved God. They really loved each other. But now they were having some severe communication difficulties. And she called me crying. She said, Nicole, I got the wrong one. I, I didn't know what I was doing. People warned me, you know, that he has some certain personality characteristics that are going to be a little difficult to live with, but I just didn't see it. I, I thought I could handle it. Now, here I am. I'm married to him for the rest of my life. Well, fortunately, I was able to talk her through that and help her to understand a few communication techniques so that, you know, she worked through it. And you know what? She called me back the next day. Ah, oh, we worked it out. I feel so much better. <laughs> So you see, it wasn't as bad as she thought, but that, that preconceived idea she had, had had made her susceptible to a lie of the devil. You got the wrong one. And there are people, not only who have gotten married that way, believing God was leading, but people who have gotten married knowing they made the wrong choice. Maybe she got pregnant. Maybe they got married before they became Christians. Or maybe one of them fell away from the Lord, or both of them did. They got married on impulse, and now they find themselves stuck for life. And then they decide to grin and bear it. Okay, I'm stuck with him. I'm going to stay with him. And I'll be married for the rest of my life. Because that's what God wants. I think God has something so much higher in mind. I believe that God can take almost any two people from any two personalities who are submitted to the Spirit of God and make them into a beautiful couple. They can, they can overcome any difficulty if both of them are willing to surrender to God. But there are still going to be some things that can hold you back in ministry and that can make your relationship rockier and make it more difficult for you to have that beautiful harmony in your home if you don't prepare ahead of time by finding the right person. Now, the 
<clears throat> the third point that I mentioned uh, about what can be wrong with thinking there's only one for you out there is that strong temptation to manipulate signs. I mentioned already the, the girl with the, the roses. One time, my darling husband over there <clears throat> prayed for a sign. He was interested in a beautiful young lady, and she was a solid Christian, and she loved the Lord, and went to church in the same place. Everything seemed great. But he just didn't have any conviction yet that it was God's will. So he asked the Lord, give me a sign. I want a sign. So he was going out with a friend of his, a guy, and he said, you know, Lord, if she's the one for me, then help my friend to mention her name. And this guy didn't go to church there, so, you know, he, you know, he was just a friend from school. So they're, they're driving along in the car, and the guy's just not mentioning her name. So he brings up church, thinking, well, maybe this will give the guy the right idea. Still not getting it. The guy was not hearing the voice of God. So finally he starts talking about the girls at church, and finally the guy goes, hey, what about that girl you liked at church? Yes. He got his sign. And it wasn't me. <laughs> so we don't want to manipulate our signs. Um, the Spirit of Prophecy has some great, great counsel on how to choose a spouse. The book Adventist Home, the book Messages to Young People, each of those has a good solid section about it. I'm going to choose some highlights from it to uh, share with you. One of them is from Adventist Home, page 45. It says, weigh every sentiment and watch every development of character in the one with whom you think to link your life destiny. While you may love, do not love blindly. Now, when I say character, character, let's distinguish here. Character is how much is this person like Jesus? Weigh every sentiment. What is this person like when they're provoked? What about when somebody's not nice to them? What about somebody hurts their feelings? I had a friend who, uh, when she was considering a fine young man as her possible future husband, purposely went out for a long drive with him on country roads and ran her car out of gas. Yeah, that's when you find out what he's like. <laughs> and she married him. I guess he passed the test. <laughs> I'm not saying you need to do that, but weigh every sentiment. This is why you've got to know somebody for a while. My husband and I actually spent almost all of our courtship long distance, and I mean long distance. He was in Africa, and I was in America. But we were very cautious, partly because I had been in a previous relationship that was kind of long distance with the young man I told you about that I seemed to have a sign that the Lord wanted me to get together with him. I think that relationship taught me some great things, and one of them was that a long-distance relationship can cover some serious flaws. It's hard to weigh every sentiment and watch every development of character of somebody who's on the other side of the ocean, or even maybe somebody who's on the other side of campus. That's why you have to have time. A person can pretend. We knew another couple who got married about the same time we did, also from a long-distance relationship. Everything was perfect. They were going to live happily ever after. He was going to become a pastor. Everything was great. But within a two-month time span or so, she was locking herself in the bathroom and calling 911 because he was trying to beat her up. It was easy to pretend. You see, it's easy for me to pretend long distance that I am who you want. I can figure out what you want. It's not that difficult for a manipulative person to figure out, even just for anybody. You figure out what the other person is looking for and you say that. And number two, it's not very difficult for me at a long distance from somebody else to put on my rose-colored glasses. Just think, he's so romantic. Oh, he's so thoughtful. I just know that if we get married, we're going to spend all of our Saturday nights sitting by a crackling fire reading love stories to one another. 
And that may not be even remotely resembling what his picture is, what you're going to be spending your life doing. Um, Adventist homepage 45 says, examine carefully to see if your married life would be happy or inharmonious and wretched. Let the questions be raised. Will this union help me heavenward? Will it increase my love for God? And will it enlarge my sphere of usefulness in this life? Three questions you can ask yourself. If you have the right answer to these three questions, that does not mean, yes, I can marry this person. It means that cautiously you may be able to move forward. If these reflections present no drawback, then in the fear of God, move forward. Did you get what those three were? Will this union help me heavenward? Will it increase my love for God? And will it enlarge my sphere of usefulness in this life? Those three questions. And if these three questions present no objection, then in the fear of God, move forward. Now, you can ask yourself questions like, you know, am I more interested in prayer? Am I more interested in Bible study? Or am I more interested in talking to this interesting person until all hours of the night? Questions like that can be very revealing, but it takes some honesty. You have to be really honest with yourself to think about those things and and admit the truth. Now, um, there's another quotation that's very short. It says, make haste slowly. Make haste slowly. That does not mean we can get married six months after we meet one another. If you want to have a, a leap into the freezing cold pool experience, hey, more power to you, but I wouldn't recommend it. And you may have, just like my friend that I mentioned, some severe disappointment when you find out that making haste slowly would have been a wiser option. Um, Adventist home page 46 says in your choice of a wife, and this applies to choice of a husband too. study her character. Will she be one who will be patient and painstaking or will she cease to care for your mother and father at the very time when they need a strong son to lean upon? And will she withdraw him from their society to carry out her plans and to suit her own pleasure and leave the father and mother who, instead of gaining an affectionate daughter, will have lost a son? My husband and I, when we were dating, courting, whatever you call it, we got a book called um, Getting to Really Know Your Life Mate to Be. That was one of the best investments we ever got um, made because um, this book was just questions. It's not, it's not a book that you read. It's just questions. Um, how much would you spend on a birthday present for my mother, for your mother? What kind of vacation would you want to go to, on? What do you want to do? What would you want to do if you had only $5 and we wanted to do something for an evening? What would you do if we had a handicapped child? Um, What if I couldn't have children? What do you think about adopting? Um, Questions like that. This This is the kind of question that this is. Study her character. How will she treat your parents when they get older? Um, how will she spend money? What's he going to want to do with his spare time? Is he going to want to be reading? Does he want to be at the racetrack? What kind of guy is he going to be? And you know, you don't have to be alike on everything, but some of these things, the more you have in common, the better off you are. If you both enjoy hiking, if you both want to enjoy inviting the whole church over on Saturday nights, great. And you can, you know, I know people who've made a marriage work where he wants to sit at home on Saturday nights and, you know, have nobody over. And she wants to invite everybody over. And they can make that work. But this is where your ministry may be enhanced the most if you marry somebody who's more like you. Adventist homepage 47 says, Let a young woman accept as a life companion only one who possesses pure, manly traits of character, 
one who is diligent, aspiring, and honest, one who loves and fears God. Diligent, aspiring, and honest. What kind of, where do you want to be 10 years from now? Where does this person want to be 10 years from now? What kind of work ethic does he have? When does he call in sick? Does he call in sick every time he feels like, you know, I coughed three times during the night last night? Does he wait until he's got a temperature of 105? You need to know these things. Those are the questions to ask, not what color are his eyes? <laughs> oh, I just love her laugh. That, that's not what's going to matter. They say five years after you get married, you don't even know what your spouse looks like anymore. What you know is how they act. That's why people in Hollywood can't seem to make a marriage work. Have you ever had the temptation to think, man, if I could just marry, a, I don't know, who, Tom Cruise, I, I could go through anything looking in those eyes. Well, it doesn't work, does it? You've got to have something deeper. You've got to have character. Have you noticed that that's what keeps recurring in all of these quotations that I've read to you? In the Bible, in the spirit of prophecy, it's plain. You choose a spouse based on character. How much is this person like Jesus? How unselfish are they? How do they treat elderly people? How do they treat handicapped people? What do they like around children? How do they treat people who they don't like or who don't like them? How do they treat their family? How do they treat their best friends? What kind of friends do they choose? Those are the questions that you can ask that will really tell you how well does this person fit together with you. I dated a guy once. Now, I didn't date a whole lot of people here, actually, but I tend to use them all freely, poor guys. Um, <laughs> this one guy I dated, you know, from the beginning, we had, we had some serious lifestyle issues, but that wasn't one of the big things for me was that once I started hanging around with him and his friends, I found... He didn't have the same kind of friends I had, and he didn't have the same kind of friendships. He had what I called lame friendships. I didn't call them that to his face. But his friends, they would joke together. They'd tell each other jokes. They'd get together and pop a big bowl of popcorn and watch VeggieTales movies. Um, I'm sorry, but when I was 35, I, I'm not 35 yet, but he was. But <laughs> I just don't find VeggieTales that deep. And, you know, I just, <laughs> I just couldn't understand that. So with, with me, I, that was one of the things that continued bothering me. That was a personality issue. It wasn't a character issue. What kind of person you want to marry, um, the first thing you need to consider is character. Now, you may think after I share all this stuff and say, well, God doesn't have just one person for you. The bottom line is I don't find that in the Bible and spirit of prophecy that God has one person for you. I find the consistent message of measure this person's character. Take time to see how this person responds to different situations. See how this person relates to, you know, situations. How, how much are they like Jesus? Um, but I do believe that God will help us choose. You look at the story of Isaac and Rebecca. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm not going to ask you to turn there. But in the story of Isaac and Rebecca... Did God help Isaac find a spouse? He did. But when, when Eliezer went to find a wife for Isaac, what did he look for? What was the sign? Now, this is, a, this is a situation. It was a unique situation. He couldn't even meet his spouse, and God gave a sign. And based on that sign and her willingness to marry him, Isaac got married. <clears throat> this is one of the few places in the Bible that we see something like this. But what sign did he choose? He said, Lord, oh, go ahead. What was that? She was courteous. It was character. How much is this woman like Jesus? And that is the, the single most important thing that you can look for. 
Um, Rebecca was willing to water the camels. You know how much work it is? She offered. Right. She saw this man and said, you know, he says, can I have a drink of water? And she says, yes. And then she looks around and sees all these camels and says, I'll draw water for your camels. That is a lot of hard work. And, you know, you want to go sit in the Saudi Arabian sun and pull a bucket up out of a well, however many times it takes to water camels. That's a lot of work. Some people have estimated it was at least an hour of work hauling water out of the well. That showed character. And based on that show of character, Isaac had a spouse who would be with him for the rest of his life. Was she perfect? No. And just because God brings a person to you and you marry them, do not expect our marriage will be perfect. We'll never have all those problems that people have out there. No, you'll still have to learn some things. And my husband's going to be sharing later in a seminar about how to, how to uh, work through things as you build a relationship. Here we go. Sorry, we can't seem to uh, get it to work out for right now. We'll have to get something that can extend the cord. Anyway, we'll just keep going. Are you guys okay with that? Can we just keep going without having to have it up on the screen? All right. So, the first step in getting ready for choosing a spouse. Before you, you know, a lot of you are not ready for really thinking about, I mean, you're not ready to choose somebody. You're ready to think about it. You better be thinking about it right now so you don't make some foolish choices that wreck your choices for later on. But the first step in figuring out this process is get mature. If you're still 16, do not think, okay, is my boyfriend the right one? Should I? Because that's, that's not where you should be yet. A youth not out of his teens is a poor judge of the fitness of a person as young as himself to be his companion for life. After their judgment has become more mature, they view themselves bound for life to each other and perhaps not at all calculated to make each other happy. Then, instead of making the best of their lot, recriminations take place. The breach widens until there is settled indifference and neglect of each other. To them, there is nothing sacred in the word home. The very atmosphere is poisoned by unloving words and bitter reproaches. The bottom line here is, if you're still in your teens, it's really not time for you to choose a spouse yet. It's time to make a lot of friends. And we're going to be talking in our next seminar about how to keep quality friendships with the opposite sex without going too far and without staying too far away from friends. You've got to make friends. You've got to figure out what it is that you admire, what, what kind of people you jive with, what kind of people you enjoy. Um, but you notice here it's, it's saying um, after their judgment has become more matured, They'll view themselves as not suited to each other. Think of who you were two years ago. You're a different person now, aren't you? And two years from now, you're going to be a different person. A lot of statistics show that somewhere between 27 and 30 is the best time to get married. Now, I know that sounds like a million years from now, and I'm not saying don't get married until you're 27. I'm saying that um, you'll, you'll do well to just wait for a while and not litter your whole teenage years with broken relationships. I lost a lot of good friends because I just didn't know how to stay friends with them. All right. Early marriage, this is a statistic, is a key predictor of later divorce. Nearly half of people who marry under age 18 and 40% under age 20 end up divorced. It's only 24% for people who marry after age 25. You know, you hear the statistics about 50% of marriages end in divorce. Well, that's, that's a, a little skewed by some people who, you know, get married multiple times, like, say, five, and a lot of those marriages end in divorce. 
So it, it's not that if you get married, 50% chance you're going to get divorced. But if you get married young, it's probably more like 50% chance you're going to get divorced. Or you'll end up in an abusive relationship that you don't know how to break out of because you weren't mature enough to think things through and you kind of end up stuck where you were when you got married. Um, the National Center for Health Statistics found nearly half of marriages in which the bride is 18 or younger end in separation or divorce within 10 years. For brides 25 and older, half as many marriages break up. Every year you wait one year older, your statistics get better for keeping your marriage for a lifetime. And I know that's what all of us want. How many of you um, have come from a divorced home? The statistics in this room aren't nearly as bad in a lot of places. But I know so many people who they're just afraid to even get married because their parents couldn't make a, a marriage. You know, even if your parents weren't divorced. What about, you know, many of us come from homes where their fam our parents weren't actually happy together. They just stayed together for multiple reasons. You know, I really ought to or whatever. We don't want to have to have a marriage like that. We want to aim for something that will, will glorify God and will bring happiness. Um, Many marriages, from Adventist Home, page 84, many marriages can only be productive of misery, and yet the minds of the youth run in this channel because Satan leads them there, making them believe that they must be married in order to be happy. When I was a teenager, I would sit around with the girls, you know, we'd play this goofy game where, you know, A, B, C, D, you pick four different cars, four different guys' names. You, you, some of you, have, yeah, okay, you've done this. <laughs> I just thought it was a harmless, goofy thing. But, you know, it did sometimes change the way I'd look at my guy friends. You know, well, you know, huh. Anyway, you know, it was just a game. But it wasn't just a game, was it? The young people's minds run there because Satan leads them there. I don't mean that any time you think about marriage or the opposite sex, it's Satan leading you there. Not at all. God is designed. It's not good for man to be alone, right? God has made us so that we want to be with somebody else. But to... to play with it and make it into a foolish game and flirt and play with hearts. Trivializing, Trivializing yes. that it, it messes up your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. And that's what the Ten Commandments are about, right? Your relationship with God, your relationship with other people. Um, Satan leads their minds there, making them believe that they must be married in order to be happy when they have not the ability to control themselves or support a family. Those who are not willing to adapt themselves to each other's disposition so as to avoid unpleasant differences and contentions should not take the step. But this is one of the alluring snares of the last days in which thousands are ruined for this life and the next. Isn't that tragic? It's bad enough to ruin this life, but so many people lose eternity or their children lose eternity because they made one foolish choice. Or, well, a whole string of foolish choices that led to, I do, forever. Um... Or worse yet, to a divorce and to a broken home and children who are scarred for life by those things. Now, it mentioned two other important characteristics. But to be ready for, for marriage, you have not the ability to control yourself or support a family. You're not ready to get married. That means you need to finish your education and you need to be able to control yourself. If you find yourself daydreaming, you know, building castles in the sky, you're not ready. Um... There is, a, there is a magnet principle. I wish I had two magnets here that I want to share with you. Two magnets. If you have two magnets here, and I hold my two magnets this far apart, they're okay, aren't they? You know, they're, they're not going to pop. But the closer I get those magnets to each other, 
the harder it is to hold them apart. We're going to be talking about that some in the next seminar, about how hard it is to stay best friends or close friends with somebody of the opposite sex and not find yourself whoop, messing up your friendship. Now, magnets are people unwilling or unable to control themselves. That's what I'm using them as an illustration of here. Two magnets can't seem to stop. I just get closer and closer, and before I know it, I can't stop, I can't stop. Well, your relationship with God will enable you to stop in your relationship with other people. But the problem is many people get on a slippery slope and they say, all right, I can still stop, I can still stop, I can still stop. And they keep going because they want to they experience the thrill, get as close to the cliff as they can. And they get so close that eventually they I, I can still stop, I think, I think, and I can't. And that's, that's why adultery is such a, a terrible sin in the Bible. Not because adultery or premarital sex or extramarital sex is so much worse than any other sin, but it's because it's a sin that is the culmination of many other sins. A person consistently refuses to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. A person persists in doing what they know that God does not want them to do, pushing away the voice of the Holy Spirit, saying, oh, it's okay, I would never do that. I'm not that kind of person. How many of you have heard Steve Green's song, Guard Your Heart? It's a powerful song. What appears to be a harmless glance can turn to romance and homes are divided. Feelings that should never have been awakened within, tearing the heart in two. Listen, I beg of you, guard your heart. That's, that's sobering. You know, my, my daughter loves to sing the song, Oh, be careful, little hands. Oh, be careful, little feet where you go. Oh, be careful, little mind what you think. Oh, be careful, little heart whom you trust. I hope she puts those words into her mind and never lets them go. Because I know those choices, one little choice, you can pay for one little choice every day for the rest of your life. And that's, that's a sobering thing. I have a, a friend, you know, in, it seems like, you know, at GYC you can kind of go, well, you know, we're a GYC crowd. We're not going to, you know, fall into something like that. It was just a few years ago that one of my friends, her name was Erica. Erica was sitting in one of these GYC chairs. Erica wanted so much to follow God. But Erica hadn't overcome some of the magnet principle problems. We're going to talk in the, the final seminar that I'll be doing on Friday morning, um, the first seminar Friday morning. We're going to be talking about beauty for ashes, how God helps you to heal from your past. But in a nutshell, Erica hadn't healed from her past. She'd been through a terrible life. And even though she was trying to put her life back together, she was trying to do the right thing, Erica made one tragic mistake. And that mistake cost her the rest of her life. Now, it's been over a year since Erica's boyfriend killed her. And, yeah, Daniel, you know her. Erica was a beautiful person, one of the most beautiful people I've ever known. She used to walk around with a whole pack of scripture memory cards. She just wrote out Bible verses, had them all around her neck on a cord, and she would read them as she walked between classes and between your cafeteria and all that. She wanted so much to follow God. And I praise God that he turned her life around so that she had come back to the Lord and brought her, her daughter, who was uh, 18 months old when she was killed. Her, she brought her daughter to church. She, she had gotten her life back together. She was telling everybody how much Jesus loved them when it was her ex-boyfriend by then, hunted her down and shot her in front of her little girl. God is gracious. But I don't want to see that happen to anybody here. And the reason why that happened was because Erica was not willing to break away from the magnet principle. She wasn't able to control herself from some things. And she just thought, it'll be okay. I can keep this under control. I can keep this under control. Don't ever tell yourself that lie. 
If you're stepping on the devil's ground and playing with temptation, know, know this. It will always go farther than you think it will. But there's another good thing. A, a good principle of the magnets is that, as Ellen White says, like attracts like. Like appreciates like. If you become the kind of person you want to marry, then the kind of person you want to marry will become attracted to you. Isn't that good news? Now, um, there's uh, one more principle I want to share here. Practice true love. Adventist Home, page 50, says, While pure love will take God into all its plans and will be in perfect harmony with the Spirit of God, passion will be... Now listen to this list and see if you can't visualize somebody you know who's been like this. It might even be yourself. Passion will be headstrong, rash, unreasonable, defiant of all restraint, and will make the object of its choice an idol. Have you ever known anybody like that? Raise your hand if you've known somebody, if you've seen somebody be in love like that. You know, worse than that, how many of you, and you don't even have to raise your hand, how many of you have ever watched a movie in which that's the way that a person chooses their spouse? Isn't that the way everybody chooses their spouses in the movies? I mean, maybe not the kind of movies you're watching. I hope not. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think we've watched any movies like that in a very long time, but I've, I've seen the reviews here and there, and, and, you know, it's just appalling to me. And people say, well, you know, we shouldn't let little kids watch this kind of stuff. We have a, we have a filter on our DVD player. It's called ClearPlay. And it, it's a nice thing to have. We hardly ever use it. ClearPlay is something that you download a little filter off the Internet, and then when you play your movie, it will take out any violence, it will take out any sex, it will take out any, um, let's see, what else do they have? Bad language. That's my pet peeve. I just hate bad language. It just comes up, you can't fast forward past it. Yeah, so this thing is great, but we hardly ever use it because honestly, what are we going to use, what, what are we going to watch movies like that for? Every now and then there's something that's, <coughs> pardon me, about racism or maybe about um, the Holocaust, something valuable to watch, but generally, we don't need it. But you, you still can't even filter out things like the way that people dress in the movie. But I know people who say, well, you know, that stuff doesn't, you know, doesn't bother me. On the clear play box, block, clear play box, there you go. It says, you know, in case you have young children in the home and you don't want them to hear stuff. And I'm like, who are you kidding? You think young children are the only ones who hear a swear word in their mind automatically come up if they've been watching movies that have them in there? Why just little children? I knew some people who they knew they shouldn't get married. They, they were planning to break off their relationship. And then they watched the movie Titanic together. Yeah, and you can, you can guess the rest of the story. I don't even have to tell you. But the sad thing is, they got married, and they've had a terrible life ever since. That one choice has been productive of so much evil, so much harm. Don't think, I'm old enough, it won't affect me. By beholding, we become changed. So passion will be headstrong, rash, unreasonable, defiant of all restraint, and will make the object of its choice an idol. True love is another word for unselfishness. And as you practice true love, you will discover that it's, a, it's worlds apart from what the world, passion, the world paints as true love. True love does not decide based on what it feels like, unlike the movies. True love is not a strong, fiery, impetuous passion, Adventist Home, page 51. On the contrary, it is calm and deep in its nature. It looks beyond mere externals and is attracted by qualities alone. 
Remember that word, qualities. Burn that into your brain. What do you watch for when you find a spouse? Qualities. How much is this person like Jesus? Um, secondly, um, in the, your choice, you know, we've talked about first you want to choose character. Choose based on character. How much is this person like Jesus? There's another important thing that you want to remember, though. How much is this person like me? That's personality. You know, when we get to heaven, we're all going to have one character. That's the character of Jesus. We're all going to be like Jesus. We're all going to be unselfish. But we're all going to have our own personalities. Every person is unique. Um, so when I say find someone who's a lot like you, that doesn't mean you have to be clones. My husband is a big picture person. He is good at figuring out. He looks at the whole picture and says, all right, if we're going to get the house clean in time for sunset, we're going to have to do this, then we're going to have to do this, then we're going to have to do this, and then we're going to have to just put all of that away in a room where we can't see it. <laughs> it happens, especially with three little kids. Me, I'm thinking, I've got to get this sink full of dishes out of here because I can't stand a sink full of dishes. I see the details. I'm a proofreader. He's, he's a visionary. We work great together. We were made for each other. This is a wonderful way that we are different. I don't mean you need to find a person who's a clone of you. So just keep that clear. But when I say find a person who's a lot like you, I mean spiritually, number one. Is this person like you? Do they have the same religious beliefs that you do? Are they Seventh-day Adventist? If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, but more than that, are they a Christian? And do they have the same principles of their life? You know, Seventh-day Adventists come from all different stripes and types. Is your, is your future spouse going to be offended by the music you listen to, by the clothes that you wear, by the, the way that you spend your spare time? A person who's very sincere may have different convictions than a person who is also very sincere. And both of them are following the Lord to the best of their ability. But this can make for a lot of conflict. So find out spiritually how much are you alike. And that includes your convictions. How do you live your life? One guy that I dated, uh, who's already been mentioned earlier, see, it's really not that many. <laughs> we had very different lifestyles. And it was a continual source of conflict between us. But more than that, we didn't know how to manage our conflict, which my husband will be talking about later. Um, socially, how much is this person like you? Not just what kind of friends do they have, but how much time do they want to spend with them? How much time do they need away from people? How do they process when they're stressed or when they're, they're tired? Do they want to have some people come over so they can just relax and have a good time with their friends? Do they want to get away from everybody? It's good if you can find somebody who processes things similarly than to you. Some people get their power and strength by spending time away from people. Some people get their power and strength by spending time with people. You just if you find somebody who fits you well there, you'll you'll have less conflict. And there's a lot of, of things to be in conflict about these days. You want to have these major things out of the way. Intellectually, it's best if you find somebody who's intellectually similar to you. My husband and I both love to study things about psychology, Christian psychology, not you know the world's junk. But it's great that we're interested in those things because we can talk for hours about how people's minds work and why people do what they do. Intellectually, it's great to have somebody who's on the same par with you. And in your leisure time, habits, habitually, how, how are you guys like each other? Do you want to go hiking all the time? Does he want to watch TV all the time? Does she want to sleep in every morning? Does, does he want to get up at 5 in the morning every morning? You can work through those things again. But it's nice to have less conflict to be able to have a lot in common. If you want to do the same things together, you're not going to find yourself spending your weekends doing separate things with separate friends, which can be alienating. 
I think ideally all of us want to have a marriage where the two of us spend a lot of time together. Um, but again, how, what, is your, what is your view of your ideal marriage? You need to know this. These are things that you have to take time with a person to figure out. Are they like you? But you want to know, the bottom line is, is this person going to be a good fit with me? Can we enjoy the same things together so that we'll have a lot of bonds to pull us together instead of things that are continually pulling us apart that we have to fight against? I want to warn against some serious pitfalls. There are lifestyle issues that I mentioned, doctrinal issues, integrity issues. How honest is this person? How truthful? When, when they are on the, you know, you're with them and they talk to their friend on the phone and their friend says, yeah, why weren't you there? Oh, sorry, I had this thing come up and you know, nothing came up. They're, they're fibbing a little bit. Fibbing a little bit is a serious integrity issue. You do not want to marry somebody you cannot trust. You know, I've had people tell me, well, you know, I just love him so much, I can work through anything with him. No. Um, Christianity will teach you you must love everybody. But if you trust everybody, you're a fool. And you you don't want to marry somebody you cannot trust. Ellen White also says that most people are not fit to be married. Uh, Take that and swallow it. (laughs) Personality issues. Find out how how much can you work with this person. And... How many times are you going to just be in continual conflict with them? Now, when um, my husband and I, when we were dating, we didn't really uh, have a whole lot of time right next to each other, right? So it was hard to figure out some of these issues. You know, character. How much is he like Jesus? I felt like I had a good grasp on what, what he was like. I went and spent time with him in Africa, meeting his family, meeting his friends, seeing him in ministry. He was a chaplain. One of the things that was very helpful to us was that I was 26 and he was 28 when we met. Both of us had been living on our own for a long time, but we'd been living in dorm situations and um, having housemates to live with. So we'd had people to live with. You know, we'd, we'd had to work through conflicts continually. And we both read a lot of great books on relationships. I, you know, coming to an hour-long seminar is a great way to start, but don't let this be the end of it. You, you all come to this room with your own specific backgrounds, the things that you've been through in your family and in your life, and I would encourage you to go out and find some good books that uh, deal with issues that you may have from the past. Um, I would recommend authors especially like Larry Crabb. Um, you know, Christian psychology takes all different stripes and types. I really like his approach to things because he has what I feel is a really balanced approach of you want to combine... You, if you know I shouldn't be doing this sin, you stop that sin right now. That's very important. But also get to the root of it. Why do I feel compulsively drawn to watch movies all the time or listen to music or call friends on my cell phone all the time? You know, if you have a compulsive behavior or you just find yourself getting into relationships, I just can't seem to stop. I want so much to be with this person. I know I shouldn't. And then you're attracted to another person and you see a pattern. You know, this person is also not the kind of person that I should be drawn to, but I just find this tremendous attraction. I can't seem to break it. You know, do put a stop to it. Do refuse to do things that the devil wants you to do, frankly. But get to the root of it, too. And that's what I appreciate about Larry Crabb's books, that he says also, you know, find out why am I, why am I driven to this? Seek, pray, search your heart, ask the Lord to help you to figure out where you need to go in your relationships with other people so that you don't get mixed up into something. Um, I guess that's kind of the end of what I want to share for this uh, session. 
Yes, the next session will be starting at uh, quarter to 11. And we're also going to have a question box in the back of the room over here. We don't have it here yet. But if you have questions, just write them out on a piece of paper. You can put them up here on the table. Or we'll, we'll get the question box back there this afternoon so you'll be able to put them in there. And if anybody wants to meet with us, if you have any specific questions, you can also feel free to come and talk to us. Alan and I will be here as much as we can. We'll be around in the meals and things, too. All right, you're dismissed. Oh, let's, let's bow our heads for a prayer to close, okay? Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your tremendous love for us and that you, you have told us that it's your will that we love one another. Guide us in that process of learning how we can best show your love to others and that we may find the right marriage partners that if it is your will and if time lasts long enough, everyone here may marry someone who will help them to be more fruitful in ministry, that they will learn to love you more as a result of that relationship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.